Hey, everyone. Misaligned is back. This week, I have on Taylor J. from Western Daughter, and he is going to talk to us about their new release, Driftwood Songs, that came out on March 24th via Take This to Heart Records. Taylor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Joe sent me this pretty early on. So, you know, I, I got a chance to listen to it before it came out. And you guys definitely have a great sound. And I just want to sort of start with how the band got started and how you guys came up with the name Western Daughter and everything like that. So when did you guys form the band? Uh, we formed the band about two years ago, give or take. And uh, realistically, a lot of us had played in other bands in the area. And some of those bands were still playing at the time, and then they stopped playing and may have not. We kind of all got together and worked at it from there. We had the idea of collaborating. Our singer was in a different band. I was in a band with Zach and Cameron, our guitar player, and he's one of the primary songwriters in the band, just kind of approached us and asked if we wanted to play. So we went from there. Nice. And this album, when did you guys really start recording that and writing that? Oh boy. We started writing that album a little bit after this time last year. I because we played this festival that is coming up in Boise right now, that which is where we're from. We played that and then we had released an album, I wanna say last year or maybe it was the year prior in around January. But anyways, we, we started writing it about about a year ago, I would say. Awesome. You mentioned being from the Boise area. What type of music scene do you guys have there? Because, you know, when people think of Idaho, they don't necessarily think of, you know, like a big music scene or anything like that. It's not like L.A. or New York or Nashville or something like that. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, Personally, I really enjoy Boise's music scene. Uh, It's definitely smaller tier shows than some of the places that I've played at in other groups or whatnot and different demographic but you know it's it's a good it's a good community for shows and everyone's super supportive and uh always want always is yeah there's really supportive um it's it's right now it's been we've been having some times where about the last like three to four years we've struggled with a just like staple all ages venue which is kind of like seen us we've gotten lots of shows uh per se but i think that it's been a struggle for us just in general. So we've been, the community has been working at that and building towards getting like a really legitimate all ages inclusive space for everyone to, you know, have shows at and have a good time. And that's really important to everyone. So I think that everyone is really invested in it overall that it that is involved. Yeah. And it seems like sometimes all ages venues are really rare to come across because for me, you know, I think that, in certain cities, I went to college in Philadelphia, and a lot of the venues there are 21 plus. So right. it's kind of hard to gauge what the all ages venues were and everything there because they had so many bars and everything that you were like, okay, well, where do all of you know the high school kids go around here to watch shows and that sort of thing? And unless it was a bigger venue, they didn't really have those small spaces like here in Orange County. We have Chain Reaction, which mm-hmm. a lot of people know because, you know, you'll see it on the tour ad mats and everything. And it's sure. just one of those venues that frequently comes up when bands are scheduling tours, especially, you know, the smaller to midsize bands because Chain isn't 
a huge place. So would you say Boise is definitely just more accommodating to the 21 plus crowd? Or is it just that the music scene is much smaller there that they haven't really figured it all out just yet? It's been figured out at points during my life. And then that kind of stuff has had some longevity, I guess, like, you know, like 10 years plus for like a staple, like all ages venue in the area is, is pretty awesome in my opinion. Um, I'm not sure how that really compares to other, other spaces, but in other areas, but you know, at this point in time, it's just not, not there, which is unfortunate. It, it definitely, I think it's more of like overarching, like the, almost the city almost doesn't cater to it in general based on like certain laws we have and whatnot. Cause it takes a lot to get an all ages venue running here. Uh, you know, a lot of times you, you're going to have to operate that as a somewhat like somewhat go as in as a nonprofit. And that can be really tough. Yeah. And we've had a venue. It's not right by chain reaction, but it's also not too far. It's actually a skate shop and mm-hmm. they do shows there, you know, like, some of your fellow Take This to Heart bands have played there. Sundress mm-hmm. has played there, Fossil Youth, and it's called Program Skate and Sound. So what they do is it's, you know, the skate shop and they have a little vinyl section and, and tape section. And that's how it runs during the day. But then, you know, once it hits seven or eight o'clock during the week, if they have a show scheduled, they'll just sort of push all of the merchandise to the sides and mm-hmm. set up the band at one end of the store. And then you just kind of it's either free shows or you donate five bucks or whatever you can. And it's a really cool model. And I think, you know, the thing with all ages venues too, is more times than not, the venues have to forego the whole liquor license thing. So, you know, program, obviously it being an actual store, they're not going to have a bar or anything in there to begin with, but chain reaction does have a little area that looks like at one point it was a bar and now it's just like a snack bar and they sell like gummy worms and Gatorade and stuff. (laughs) They don't have any actual alcohol there. And it would be really cool for something like that to sort of pop up in Boise. If you guys have like a local shop that a lot of people in sort of the music Mm -hmm. scene tend to frequent like program skate and sound. That's definitely something that could benefit that music scene a lot. And I'm sure you guys would probably then play Mm -hmm. quite a few more shows there too. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, we definitely are are looking for spaces like that. And there's, there was like, coincidentally, there was an article today on like our college radio station. It's like an NPR affiliate about the, uh, Boise All Ages movement. They're they're working on getting getting spaces. It's just been a really trying process, and a lot of that does have to deal with the laws and whatnot as well. It's unfortunate. Yeah. So to bring this back to Driftwood songs a bit, sure. for the writing process specifically, do you guys sort of all get together and work on the songs, or is there a single person who sort of cultivates all the ideas and then they present it to the band or do each of you sort of do some writing on your own what's the typical way you guys write an ep or a record sure a lot of us write on our own all the time we're always playing music uh there'll be a lot of times where an individual from the band will bring a skeleton for a song even potentially with lyrical content sometimes or thematics for lyrics to a practice and then at that point regardless of who's bringing it um, you know, we'll all kind of give our own spin to it and give it some time to digest that. Maybe takes, you know, a couple practices. Sometimes it can only take one, but then the final product can end up sounding pretty different in the long run. Uh, and that that's a lot of times how we write songs. It'll just be 
you know, a person will bring this awesome idea that they have or a melody and we'll, we'll work at it from there. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's definitely much more of an inclusive process because I know there are some bands out there where it's sort of like the singer is the main person in the band and then the other band members are sort of just there to play that person's yeah. songs. And it's always nice to see when bands sort of work together because I think that too then helps bands stay together sometimes because, you know, no yeah. one's feeling left out of the process and, you know, everyone's ideas are equally considered and that sort of thing. And I feel like it also just helps the band mesh well together even more. I'd agree. It's really, it's really a bonding experience at that point. And it does, it definitely helps having everyone's input on it. Um, just everyone feeling much more of a connection to everything. I've been in a, we've all been in different bands that have not had that scenario at certain points in time. So, yeah. So did you all just meet because you were all playing in different bands in the Boise scene and that's sort of how this band came to be <laughs> then? Or cause I know you said you guys started a couple of years ago, but mm -hmm. sort of when did you realize that Western daughter was going to, become what it is now? Uh, I think that we all had a pretty good idea of what we wanted to do with the band when we started out. We were trying to write, you know, really creative and fun indie pop music and like, I don't know, make it also just like, we were just trying to be creative with indie pop music and we got together and I mean, there's a, there's a, a bunch of us played in a few bands, like I was mentioned before, Taylor had played in, our, our vocalist Taylor had played in a band called Ancient Psychic, and that that band was kind of reminiscent of where Cameron and Taylor had bonded at originally as their friendship from a, a town called Idaho Falls that's south okay. of Boise. Um, at that point, uh, you know they they eventually moved to Boise, but that was before you know any of us knew them, and they just knew each other from some of those type of things. And like when I when I joined the band, I didn't know our drummer Zach at all. <laughs> it was kind of like, okay, here's another person we're going to play drums with. He's going to play drums with us. But it was also a really great person. I had known Cameron and Taylor and everyone for a while. Well, I guess I'm only speaking from my perspective. but So it wasn't super hard to come together with that stuff when we had all been together in the same music scene, I suppose. Yeah. And when was it that you hooked up with Take This to Heart for this release? It was during, it was somewhat during the recording process and after. Okay. Uh, we. We'd mentioned that we were going to be, you know, recording a new record. And I know that Joe had heard our EP that we had out. Uh, it was like the first kind of like demo EP that we had out. And at that point, they expressed some interest and wanted to hear it. And I had sent, I played in another band at the time with Zach, our drummer. Um, and I sent them, because like after Zach joined, uh, we got together for Western Daughter. We also started this other band together. <laughs> and I had sent Joe that record. And then Joe was really lo loved that record but then was also like let's hear the western daughter music as well when you're done with that because i told him that we were always we were also working on a rest western daughter album from that point joe just expressed interest and you know when we had like the original mixes i think we made it a point to send those over to joe and it just kind of worked out from there nice so we went over the writing process yeah what was it like recording driftwood songs you guys obviously have that writing process down. Did you sort of get all of those ideas together before hitting the studio? Because I know some bands will sort of have these skeletons, like you mentioned, and then sort of 
finish writing the songs while they're in the studio but that seems to be more the bands that can afford to do so and i know a lot of these smaller to mid-sized bands don't mm-hmm. really have that luxury necessarily to just go into a studio with someone and write the songs as you go so right. when did you guys get to the point where you knew you were ready to record where did you record and did you record with anyone in particular yeah we we uh we kind of set ourselves a deadline to get to get the majority of the songs done because we I think we had about six written and then we were like well let's make this into an album and then we had recorded previously our our first like demo EP at this studio called Osmosis with Nathan Barnes it's a uh, in it's just outside of Boise in this town called Meridian and we just went back there because we thought Nathan did a really great job I'd recorded there in my other band Feel Better and we thought that uh, sounded really good and uh, we had it all written before we went for the most part. And then, you know, we, we toyed around with a few ideas in the studio, adding, you know, uh, we added uh, some strings and whatnot to the album, which were ideas we had thought about, but then we had to get someone to do that for us. That was one of our friends. So overall, it was really premeditated. Nice. And I knew as soon as you said it, that Feel Better sounded familiar. And that would be because I covered your previous release a bit over on my website, Hi-Fi Noise. So I yeah. was like, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny when you get people like yourself who are in multiple bands. And, you know, for me, I really enjoy it when people have multiple projects like Jake Ewald from Modern Baseball has his Slaughter Beach Dog project. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Mike Kinsella and Evan Weiss have way more projects than <laughs> I can probably keep up with at yeah. this point. Yeah. <laughs> so what's it like? for you personally doing you know multiple bands are you still doing feel better while you're doing western daughter or is it sort of you trade off and you're not really working on both at the same exact time well right now we're, we're definitely not doing feel better at the moment our vocalist uh and bass player moved to portland so but like we never officially like called it off we just kind of turned it into that i i doubt we'll start playing music together again but uh, just because of the distance and that, it'd be really hard to practice. <laughs> right, right. It's kind of ways away, especially when you get out west. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, like eight or so hours to Portland. So uh, I guess, uh, you know, we, we pretty much just work on schedules really well. Uh, we're fortunate enough to practice at my home, uh, and we have, like, this soundproof room. It's really neat. And then at that point, we're just like, okay, we're going to solidify these days for practice and try to make those. And everyone's pretty cool about setting like when we are doing that it was like western daughter will practice on tuesday and thursday and feel better will practice you know some of the other days maybe it would be a monday and a friday or a monday and a wednesday we like to do it during the weekdays but that would be kind of how it worked give or take yeah and being in southern california i definitely know what you mean by the long drives and everything because you can you know drive straight up california for eight hours and still be in California, you might only get halfway through it sometimes. So I definitely know what that's like. And I can imagine that would sort of not necessarily put a strain on the band, but Mm -hmm. just sort of put a pause on it. Because obviously, someone moving isn't necessarily the band ending on bad terms or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It's just sometimes life happens, and (laughs) you can't keep doing that. But for Western Daughter, with you guys being all in roughly the same area. Mm-hmm. Do you find it's much easier to just 
kick around ideas and get together and just sort of hang out to make those into new songs? Or do you guys still set that sort of scheduled time like, hey, we're going to practice this day, we'll write some songs this day? Or do you just let it flow more naturally being in the same area? Uh, it's that's actually really interesting because we all live like really close to each other within probably like I don't know a mile of each other and uh, but at this point we definitely set practice days and that's just the way that works best for us we don't try and force ideas and be like hey we're gonna get together and just like write right right now or and then like sometimes we we've never really gotten together and been like hey here's an idea that we're just jamming on for right now. We definitely like to jam together and sometimes those turn into ideas, but a lot of times if we're just jamming on something ourselves, I'm sure those become songs, but it's never necessarily together to be like, Hey, let's, let's make a song right now. while We're just chilling. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's something that definitely works best. Obviously having set practice times makes more sense because you want everyone to be there and everyone to be available. But for the writing process, you don't necessarily need everyone there to have an idea. You can sort of just, you know, Mm -hmm. now you can use voice memos on your phone and sort of just get down a harmony or a melody or something Mm -hmm. like that. And with, you know, free recording programs like GarageBand or even if you're not on a Mac, Audacity, even though it looks like it's from the 90s still, and they have not updated the interface in what seems like forever, sure, it's still usable. And it's like, okay, here's a rough idea of what we want to do. So do you guys definitely try to get rough mixes together too before you hit the recording studio? Absolutely. That's really important to us. And that all goes into it being pretty premeditated. Well, you know, rehearse and try and record those practices like with a really I have some pretty some pretty nice microphones and whatnot it's pretty good software and from there we'll record it in to my to my iMac and then just try and give those rough ideas to you know whoever we're recording with and then also to us for reference nice you mentioned going into an actual studio earlier but have you guys ever thought about you know, just sort of doing things the DIY way. You mentioned having those nice microphones and everything. Is that something that you guys have considered or do you think going into a studio really does give you a better product in the end? Personally, uh, I think that it's worth it to go into a studio. I'm just not savvy enough myself. I think it could work for a lot of people though. There's some bands I listen to like Moving Mountains that they've recorded a lot of their own stuff and for other bands and it sounds Mm -hmm. incredible. But I just definitely can't do that. Uh, <laughs> and we tried that in my other band, Feel Better, for a while, and it just didn't work out how we wanted it to. So going to the studio was definitely someone that you know had it all down and was really invested in you know their own studio processes and listening to the bands and understanding things and trying to figure it all out from there was really eye-opening and definitely worth our while. Yeah, after re- interning at a recording studio in high school, mm-hmm. I was like, props to people who want to do this because I definitely do not. And, you know, funny enough, now I do podcasts, which is nowhere near the extent of music editing or music recording. You know, I'm just sitting here with a microphone, a little two by two box plugged into my laptop. And that's about it. And I do pretty minimal editing. It's like I try to get the voice levels to a similar spot. They're not exactly equal every single time but you know it's much easier than mixing and mastering music and everything which having gone to school for music industry I did have to do some of that stuff and 
definitely props to the people who can do that because I would probably be horrible at it. And I think just doing this podcast enough and knowing how anal I guess I am about that and how, you know, the sound quality is and everything, I can't even imagine doing actual albums and everything because I would probably just want to nitpick everything or I feel like I would just totally miss something at the same time too, if that makes any sense. I think I can relate to that, certainly. (laughs) Yeah. So going back to being on Take This to Heart Records now, Mm -hmm. you guys have released Driftwood songs on 12-inch CD and digital through Mm -hmm. the label. So what was that process like knowing that you were going to have basically these three different formats and that you would have your release on vinyl? It's pretty awesome. Like we are, we definitely want wanted to have those types of releases for people because we just essentially self pressed our own stuff in the past. We'd had some help from friends here and there, but it was cool to have that kind of stuff happen. Uh, having the vinyl was always kind of a big goal for for us to try and have a vinyl like release. And we, I mean, we are we we're all collectors of vinyl, so it was pretty pretty neat. Um, and with the with the CD as well, that's super super big to be able just to give you know someone a CD or you know sell CDs to someone that went and they can spread the word on your music or listen to it. You have that replay value; it's huge. You guys even did some pre order bundles, and mm-hmm. the only way to get, I believe, it was the hot magenta vinyl was to order one of the bundles or get it in retail stores so what was it like sort of having this one exclusive variant for the record essentially and seeing how that would attract more people to buying bundles instead of just the record on its own i think that's awesome i think that's a really great idea and i think you know people looking into that and i'm always i'm always i always resonate with those type of things when there's kind of a limited press on something i'll kind of geek out about it and i thought that was great we, we kind of uh all collaborated with joe at take this to heart and we're like hey these are the colors that we think would work great with the you know the way the album art works looks and whatnot and it was really cool <laughs> yeah and other than that hot magenta one that is limited to 200 mm-hmm. you had like a Halloween type theme going on there with the just plain black vinyl and the orange crush vinyl. So what was it like trying to figure out which colors you wanted to use? Because obviously black is, you know, a super common color for vinyl because that's the main color that is printed. And obviously you guys have more of those available and then it sort of goes down from there for the orange crush and the hot magenta was it hard trying to decide how many of each you wanted and what colors you wanted to be the specific number? Uh, not necessarily. Joe had a pretty good I- idea of like how many there would be for each and was like, does this sound good to you guys? This is my idea. And we're like, yeah, that sounds excellent. Let's do, you know, 500 black and let's do, you know, 300 of this and 200 of that. We just kind of decided that we we liked all the different colors about the same when it came to, you know, the hot magenta or the orange, the orange crush. And we were like, let's go with that one. It's kind of a gut feeling on that. Yeah. And the shirt design is very similar to the album cover. Did you have the same person design those and who did do the design work for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our friend Foster Caffrey did it. They actually designed, uh, they've designed a bunch of the merch that we've printed in general uh, and they designed our last EP cover as well. 
Um, they've just been a friend of ours for quite a while. They're an individual that lives in Montana and they run a festival up in Montana and I don't know, they, they're really great. <laughs> they're really creative and it, it's awesome to be involved with that. Yeah, and it's definitely a cool little design. And it's really simple, too, which I think sometimes mm-hmm. people try to do a little too much with album art. And I'm like, okay, let's just calm down here. And I mean, we do have some iconic album art that is really mm-hmm. busy, like Green Day's Dookie. That is one sure. that's so busy. Uh, but that's sort of what makes that one what it is. And not everyone needs to try and do that with their release. So I think you sure. guys definitely picked a good design group there to work Mm -hmm. with and everything like that yeah but that sort of (laughs) wraps up what i have for you regarding the album directly but what i want to know before we go today is what does the band have in store for the rest of 2017 obviously you guys will probably be playing some shows now that the release is out to get that out there and promote that and you know sell some more records and that sort of thing is there anything else in the works yeah right now we we have some videos that we recorded acoustic that will come that are hopefully going to come out at some point or at least uh if they don't come out in a video maybe they'll come out in audio format but we're looking to get those out there. There's some of the songs on the album. And then we have some dates that we're working on doing that are Northwest right now. And California, Northwest, uh, Nevada, those areas. Uh, in May, revolving around a, another festival that we're playing uh, called Upstream that's in Seattle. And then after that, we definitely want to go back, go out again. Uh, probably, I think the band was talking about... Uh, july or august trying to do some more dates so at that point we 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 have a lot of opportunities that we can do but it's the the hard part is getting to certain areas to do those things (laughs) because we're just kind of in this odd area i feel like in idaho sometimes that it takes a long time to get really anywhere yeah and Obviously, West Coast shows are a lot easier to do right now for a band of your size. But mm-hmm. do you guys think that maybe not necessarily this year, but at some point you're going to try and hit the East Coast and sort of expand your fan base outside of just the West Coast? Yeah, we'd love to do that. I and mean, we It's definitely like something that's on our radar for sure. We would, we would love to get out there and do that. It's got to be we just got to try and figure out the right scenario that's going to work for us to do that. And then, you know, get out there and do that because we all we all have pretty secure jobs that we're working. And it's just like there's a sacrifice that goes along with that. And we want to make that work. Music's really important to us. We've all been doing it for a long time. But uh, finding the right scenario. And but when that happens, if it, if it definitely includes the East Coast, we definitely want to get out there um, as, you know, kind of the sky's the limit on all that kind of stuff to us. Yeah, of course. And I will be looking out for your Southern California dates here. And hopefully I can make it out to a show when you guys are in town. But thank you so much, Taylor, for coming on. This has definitely been a good chat. And obviously, like I mentioned, without having the band here, we're sort of getting just your perspective. But I think you still gave a good idea of what the band sort of thinks and works like as a whole. And I think that's something that, you know, is really great to see from these smaller to mid-sized bands and especially being on a label like take this to heart you know you guys got some awesome premieres for press and everything and that definitely helps 
expand your fan base outside of just, you know, where you've played shows and everything. And, you know, being in touch with Joe, with Joe is awesome as often as I am, if I could speak, that would be great. <laughs> you know, I've had him on the podcast a couple of times here, so mm-hmm. I'm always willing to check out whatever he's releasing. And when he sent me this, it wasn't necessarily quite like some of the stuff he's released in the past with, you know, Sundress going more the pop punk sort of power. I wouldn't say power pop for them, but it's definitely more like the pop punk realm and fossil youth yeah. having sort of a similar sound to that but not quite the same and then you guys are sort of doing your own thing and you're going to have you mentioned acoustic videos and I think that's something that I always like seeing from bands too so you guys definitely are pretty versatile in what you can do and that's awesome to see from a band that you know like you said started about two years ago a lot of times Mm -hmm. it'll take bands a while to get to that point so I definitely look forward to what you guys have next. And like I mentioned earlier, Driftwood Songs came out on March 24th via Take This to Heart Records. We'll have a link in the show notes and a link to your social media and everything in the show notes too. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, that wraps it up for today. To our listeners, as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.